The Lord be with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures forever. We bear greetings this morning to you gathered here at Marsh Chapel, to those listening live over the radio at 90.9 WBUR-FM, to those listening over internet signals at WBUR.org, and to those listening later on the podcast at bu.edu slash chapel. We welcome to the pulpit this morning the Reverend Brittany Longsdorf, our university chaplain for international students. We are grateful this morning for uh, the children of the chapel having baked our communion bread. And we look forward to the return next week of Dean Hill, who is away in Rochester, preaching three services at Asbury First United Methodist Church this morning and one this evening in celebration of the 50th anniversary of the Protestant chaplaincy at the University of Rochester. Welcome, one and all. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God. to the point. 
Let us pray. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. A lesson from the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lie sinews on you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act says the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Now please join in reading responsively verses from Psalm 130 with the antiphon. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Now, please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria and the reading of today's Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John chapter 11, verses 14 through 26 and 40 to 45. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Lord. 
Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met with him. While Mary stayed at home, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please join me in a short word of prayer. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. It's good to be here with all of you, and many thanks to Dean Hill for welcoming me to preach at this historic pulpit this morning. And thanks to all of my Marsh Chapel friends and family who have supported me in my new role as a chaplain for international students at Boston University. My husband Carson and I moved to Boston in the middle of this past June, so it gave us just enough time to be completely enveloped into the Red Sox fandom as they marched towards the World Series. This felt like a rite of passage into Boston and was truly a joy. However, this also means that this past winter has been our first Boston winter. In some ways, nearly five months of winter, 54 inches of snow, and endless salt footprints in our front hallway also seems like a rite of passage. But many days, especially chilly days in February and March, I felt as though winter was never going to end. I felt as though this must be a winter akin to Narnia, endless snow until some curse was lifted. Or perhaps Boston was experiencing a five-year-long Game of Thrones-style winter. The phrase, winter is coming, was transformed to winter is here and with a vengeance. <laughs> I began to feel hopeless. When I came to work on specially chilly days, I would ask my colleagues in Marsh Chapel, when will it all end? <laughs> I asked practical questions. How long did winter last last year? When does the snow turn to rain? 
what happened the year before and the year before? What is the absolute worst case scenario I need to emotionally prepare for? <laughs> Snow in June? They were sympathetic and they offered me a lot of comfort, but my colleagues and friends also assured me that, to this day, there is absolutely no accurate prediction method for New England weather. I yearned for spring as I have never yearned for spring before. I would sit in my favorite chair by the window and read my favorite John Keats poem, Ode to a Nightingale, and hold on to savor his phrase, oh, for a beaker full of the warm south. I wondered after all this winter, how could anything possibly grow ever again? How could even the strongest seed take root in such frozen soil and live? Our text for this Sunday is a familiar one, Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. We've seen Ezekiel's vision many times before. He stands amidst a desolate valley of dry bones and prophesies them to life. This story has become an important part of our religious narrative for centuries. It's a passage that holds liturgical importance for both Christians and Jews alike. In the Christian tradition, this passage is featured every single year of the three-year rotation of the Revised Common Lectionary. We use that lectionary here in Marsh Chapel, as do other Christian churches across the globe. This story in Ezekiel of the dry bones falls on liturgically important Sundays each year in the lectionary. This year, it falls on the fifth Sunday of Lent today. Next year, it will be the text for our Easter vigil, and the following year, it will fall on the Sunday of Pentecost. In the Jewish tradition, Ezekiel's vision of dry bones falls on Passover every year. This passage is familiar to us because we come to it every year as winter beckons into spring. This passage calls us to new understanding every year with the change of seasons. But before we can explore the prophetic vision in Ezekiel, we should look at the current state of being of the Israelites for whom the vision was shared. The Israelites were a broken people, suffering from what felt like an eternal winter in their lives. To paint you a picture, six years before this vision comes to them, the people of Israel had been captured, killed, and enslaved by an evil king. Jerusalem, their holy city, had been sacked, burned, and invaded. Enslaved and starving, these people feel as though they have broken covenant with God and they will suffer till the end of their days. They've been separated from their homelands, separated from their families, and their lives lie before them in ruins. John Calvin, our theological companion through this Lenten season, states that to the Israelites, this sort of dispersion, this being carried off separately from one another, was very much like death. We see in this passage in Ezekiel 37 a most sorrowful cry, a real lament, when the people cry out, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. In this lament, the people of Israel are not asking for help. They are not asking for God's forgiveness. They are not requesting a single sliver of grace. They simply, mournfully 
accept their dreary existence, and commit to the fact that they feel already dead. Hopelessness seeps in from the very roots of their souls and evolves into an action of lifelessness. The very notion of life collapses around them. The people of Israel walk on as skeletons without a joy or a song in their hearts. They are in Ezekiel's desolate valley. They are the dry bones. When in a vision from God, Ezekiel is brought to view a valley of dry bones, it is not an abandoned cemetery, an elephant graveyard, or a battlefield he sees, but the dry bones themselves are the people of Israel. We have all experienced these valleys of desperation, these seemingly endless winters. In the United States, we live in a culture that supports a system where living and life are sometimes two different things. For instance, we often say we make a living when we're talking about money, but we'll say I need to get a life when we're talking about social enjoyment. Living becomes something we simply do, even something we're obligated to do, and life becomes one possible yet unprobable outcome of that living. I myself have fallen into the negative cycle of rotation of living what was not life, and I see so many of my friends and family struggle with a habitual system that invades our souls. We get up, we go to work, we come home, we watch TV, we go to bed. We get up, we go to work, we come home, we watch TV, we go to bed. And once in a while, a moment occurs where we question whether this is life at all. Linked to this system, there is a glorification of busyness that runs rampant in our culture. Every time someone asks us, how are you doing? We feel the need to reply, I'm exhausted, I'm busy, I'm stressed. I've done so much today, I have so much more to do, I don't know how I'm gonna get it all done. We feel that if we don't appear busy, we're not valuable, we're not successful, we're not contributing members of the society. And while this might be true, we may in fact have very busy schedules and a lot on our to-do list, we chug along without really experiencing anything at all, without really living our lives. We exist. We work until we are dry bones. We burn out and we fall into Ezekiel's valley where all seems hopeless. It feels like you can never escape from this tedious cycle and your life has somehow slipped away from you into rote actions and movement created solely out of habit. Sometimes we don't notice our own shallow valleys. We just keep swimming and hope that everything will turn out fine. But other times we sink so deeply into the dry earth of this valley that desolation seeps into our spirits and transforms into deep depression, unhappiness, non-contentment, and listlessness. I meet with Boston University students every single day of my week, and without fail, at least once a week, I meet with a student who is so incapacitated by busyness and stress with all the things on their to-do list, they can barely move, let alone breathe. I meet with international students who feel like they are just barely treading water to keep up with the cultural differences, nuances, and systems they need to embrace simply to get their homework done. I see colleagues, friends, and family who find themselves in that listless, confunded by stress cycle, 
and I found myself in these dark valleys of Ezekiel. If you have ever felt this way, you are not alone in this. If you have ever found yourself standing amidst those dry bones, know you are not alone. Thousands of years ago, the Israelites found themselves in this dark and dreary place in the same way thousands and millions of people find themselves there now. Elie Wiesel, a well-known Holocaust survivor, prolific writer, and good friend of Boston University, once said about this valley of dry bones state of being, Ezekiel's vision of the valley of dried bones bears no true date because every generation needs to hear that this valley exists and that these bones can live again. Every generation, every culture, every person experiences this valley and this winter in some way. But Wiesel especially notes that every culture, every generation, every person can live again into a spirit-filled season of spring. Dr. Catherine Pfister-Odar, a beloved professor of Hebrew Bible at our very own Boston University School of Theology and the leading Ezekiel scholar of our era, states that the great hope of this text is that true, fulfilling life is one breath away, a single breath away. But the difficulty of realizing that hope is that we are so often limited by our own understanding of what our lives can hold, what we can handle, what we can do to truly live, and our limitations prevent us from embracing the reality of life. But God's understanding, God's insight and vision is so much greater and wider than we could possibly see. I'm reminded of a tale I once heard while I was living and studying in Tamil Nadu, India. I met a man from the island of Sri Lanka named Jude. One day we began talking about this passage in Ezekiel about the Valley of Dry Bones and the limitations of human understanding. Jude told me this native tale. Once, many years ago, there were two twins living in a single womb, a boy and a girl twin, and they were almost fully grown. They enjoyed their life. It was filled with nutrients and comfort and food. But at times, it seemed redundant, dull, and there was no more growing to do. One day, the girl twin said to the boy, I feel as though there must be more than this. I feel as though there might be something called a mother. The twin boy retorted, that is ridiculous. This is all we have. We can see our whole world from here. There is no mother. There's nothing else. A few days later, the twin girl spoke again. I really am starting to believe that something is holding us, caring for us, feeding us, that we're inside a great mother, maybe. The twin boy replied, there cannot be a mother. We have lived like this our whole lives. We have seen all there is to see. There is nothing else. But the baby twin girl remained convinced and held on to the conviction that something was beyond her understanding, that the mother understood things she perhaps did not. 
Little did they know that at any moment these two twins would be born into a completely new and different world that transformed them. God shares the same wider understanding with Ezekiel and the entire populace of Israel becomes reborn, transformed in new understanding. Ezekiel stands before a valley filled with dry bones and God asks, can these bones live? Wisely, Ezekiel affirms that God's understanding is wider and bigger than his own and he replies, only you know, O God. With that, God commands Ezekiel to prophesy to these bones and make them live. And as Ezekiel does this, bones are joined with bones, sinews regrow, flesh clings and thrives, and miraculously, these bodies are remembered. In his prolific institutes, John Calvin states that this vision corrects the previous unbelief that the people of Israel held. They, sometimes like us, believed that they were too far out of God's reach, too far gone. The importance of Ezekiel 37 to Calvin is to prove that this is always and forever an incorrect assumption. We are indeed never beyond the reach of God's restoration. God is more extensive than we could possibly imagine. These people of Israel are made whole into human form, not just a slave or a lost soul or a skeleton, but fully flesh. And God breathes into these people of the valley and they are given life. The Hebrew term for breath here is ruach, a familiar term to many of us, and a familiar term to the scriptures. We saw God breathing life into Adam and Eve in Genesis 2-7 much in the same way he is breathing life into the people of Israel after years and years of exile and torment, much in the same way that God is still breathing today into us and beckoning us into a country called life. This year I have been undertaking a spiritual discipline of reading poetry by Rainer Maria Rilke every morning. Rilke is a prolific German and Dutch poet whose insights I find to be just as poignant and personal now as they were a hundred years ago when he wrote them. Rilke and I have been on a journey together this year and I feel as though he is teaching me how to live, but especially how to live in the presence of the sacred. His poem, Go to the Limits of Your Longing, aptly brings forward the hope restored in Ezekiel. The poem reads, God speaks to each of us as we are made, then walks with us silently out of the night. These are the words we dimly hear. You, sent out beyond your recall, go to the limits of your longing. Embody me. Flare up like flame and make big shadows I can move in. Experience everything, beauty and terror. No feeling is final. Just keep going. Don't let yourself lose me. Nearby is the country called life. You will know it by its seriousness 
so give me your hand. We are often called out beyond our recall, called to do more than we can handle. We are beyond our recall when we fill our lives with busyness and meaningless motions. At times, it seems all we can do is just keep going. But we are called by the divine, sacred spirit of God to go to the limits of our longing, to experience every single thing, beauty and terror. When we choose to live, really live, we embody the compassion, peace, justice, and spirit of the holy. We can flare up like flames and dance in the fire of life. Friends, just as surely as today is a spring day, 55 degrees and sunny, so your life is only a single breath away. Your life is one moment with God's imbibing spirit away. You are offered the same restoration of the Israelites, the chance to live, to really live, to step out of the monotonous motions and into a season of spring full of the country called life, full of the spirit of God. Through our endless Boston winter, seeds still have taken root and seeds are growing and living despite the frozen earth around us. We have been in the valley of dry bones. Many of us have lingered there. Some of us have suffered there. But nearby is the country called life. When we breathe, may we breathe the breath of God and move into that life. And may we go forth into the spring seeking out life in the fullness of the Spirit. Amen.
Please be seated. We welcome you once again here to the nave of Marsh Chapel, and we hope you will take a moment to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew and passing that book along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We look forward this week on Wednesday evening to our annual interfaith fair. We encourage you to see the note in the bulletin or look to the chapel website for more information this Wednesday at 6 p.m. at the GSU. We are particularly grateful this morning for the leadership in worship of the Inner Strength Gospel Choir under the direction of Herb Jones. We also look forward this Friday, April 11th at 7 p.m. right here in the Marsh Chapel nave to their spring concert. We hope you will come and join us and them for that. This week is a communion Sunday, as always. Uh, wine is found in the chalices on the, on the pulpit side and grape juice is in, in the chalices on the lectern side. There are gluten-free wafers for those who need, and we encourage you to see the note about healing stations available uh, for those who so desire in your bulletin. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
We give you thanks, O God, this day for life and work and peace. We give thanks for the children of our community who have baked the bread for us this week. Bless these gifts and those who have given them to the work of ministry in this place and throughout the world. Amen. Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us access to his grace. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you. Let us share with one another a sign of peace. God of mercy and compassion, your word calls us home to faith and love. Accept all we offer you this day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. It is right to give God thanks and praise. It is indeed right and good to give you thanks and praise, almighty God and everlasting Father, through Jesus Christ, your Son. For in these 40 days you lead us into the desert of repentance, that through a pilgrimage of prayer and discipline we may grow in grace and learn to be your people once again. Through fasting, prayer, and acts of service, you bring us back to your generous heart. Through study of your holy word, you open our eyes to your presence in the world and free our hearts to welcome others into the radiant splendor of your love. As we prepare to celebrate the Easter feast with joyful hearts and minds, we bless you for your mercy and join with saints and angels forever praising you and singing. All glory be to you, our Heavenly Father, who in your tender mercy gave your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, who made there by his one oblation of himself once offered a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, oblation, and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. He instituted and in his holy gospel commanded us to continue a perpetual memory of his precious death until he comes again. Hear us, merciful Father, we humbly pray, and grant that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we receiving these gifts of your creation, this bread and this wine, according to your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ's holy institution, in remembrance of his death and passion, may be partakers of his most blessed body and blood. Who, in the same night that he was betrayed, took bread and gave you thanks. He broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and gave you thanks. 
He gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Great is the mystery of faith. Therefore, Lord and Heavenly Father, in remembrance of the precious death and passion, the mighty resurrection and glorious ascension of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, we offer you through him this our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Grant that by his merits and death and through faith in his blood, we and all your church may receive forgiveness of our sins and all other benefits of his passion. Although we are unworthy through our manifold sins to offer you any sacrifice, Yet we pray that you will accept this, the duty and service that we owe. Do not weigh our merits, but pardon our offenses, and fill us all who share in this holy communion with your grace and heavenly blessing. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, by whom and with whom and in whom, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory are yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. As our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Blessed are those who are called to his supper. Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the word, and I shall be healed. Come, for all things are now ready.
Let us pray. God of our pilgrimage, you have fed us with the bread of heaven. Refresh and sustain us as we go forward on our journey. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. May we go forth from this place embodying the holy and living into the country called life. May grace, peace, and joy give you strength on your journey. Amen. <laughs>